Now, we're at 11 o'clock service, and I have told the other groups earlier this morning to wildly, enthusiastically welcome Scott. You know, one congregation kind of gave him the Methodist clap. 8.30, I warmed up a little bit. 9.45, gave him something. This is 11 o'clock. So let's wildly welcome Reverend Scott Hibben. I'll go home now. I'm, I'm, <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks for being part of that. I would do cartwheels in here, but then I'd be testing out my workman's compensation too, so we won't do that this one. I just want to say a thank you for all the hospitality that you have provided the whole Healthy Church Initiative team. We've got a row of them. Why don't you wave your, your hands there? Those have been part of our team here uh, this last uh, Friday and Saturday. I uh, just want to thank you for all that you put into this process. This has been a year-and-a-half ramp-up kind of thing. And a lot of people behind the scenes have done excellent work. I also want to thank you for being who you are and the witness that you give in your life and faith, not only for your congregation and your for community, but for, for, for uh, kind of the ripple effect far beyond perhaps what sometimes you may realize. Just thank you for, uh, for your witness in Christ. Let's be in prayer together. Jesus, this is your time. This is your experience. This is your moment. And we give you thanks and praise that you have called us here by name. May we worship you and honor you, but most of all, Lord Jesus, may we be called by you for your purpose and for your blessing, not in our lives, but in the life of the world you claim as your own. Amen. So I'm sitting in an Arby's in Fairmont, Minnesota, as a fast-approaching, ominous thunderstorm begins to advance. Only hours before, the, the sirens have sounded and, and tornadoes have been sighted. And, and now it looks like we're in for the sex, next wave, the sex, second wave, as the, as the sky turns blue and black and green and, and ominously begins to churn. And as I'm sitting there in this all-glass-and-metal building, wondering really about the, the wisdom of the safety of that particular location. I pull out my cell phone and I notice all kinds of other people are, and we begin to track the approaching storm and, and how soon it will get here and the kind of severity by the colors or the, the bands on the, on the radar screen. Vision is the ability to see what's out there so that you can do what you need to do today to be ready for its coming tomorrow. Those who embrace vision generally have a future, and those who reject vision sometimes fall down and get hurt, and in the case of advancing storms, even can, even can die. So how's your vision? How's your vision? In the early 1960s, then-President John F. Kennedy decided that it would be wise for our country to engage in a space race with the Soviet Union, to be able to be the first one to put a, a man on the moon. These are his words. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal by, by the end of this decade of landing a man on the moon. And it is only because he had the vision that we were able to claim that purpose and, and claim that promise so that on July 20th, 1969, with Apollo 11, we won the space race. And not only did we win the space race, but we dynamically changed American life and culture still to this day around issues of how we live and how we view the world and how we, our issues of technologies and computers and, and everything else. We even made Tang the breakfast drink of astronauts. 
And some of us can remember that, and the younger people say, what in the world are you talking about? Turn to an adult next to you, an older adult, and maybe they can explain that one to you. But the point is simply this, that vision belongs to those, or the future belongs to those who claim vision today. And to those who don't claim it, they can, even worse things can happen. And that's critical, whether it be in advancing storms, or whether it be in setting national policy, or in your business, or your family life, or in your church life. Vision is what gives you your your future. And it belongs not only in everything else, but it belongs also in our life of faith. The issue is, though, of course, the world in which we live in is changing so quickly. You know some of those national statistics for a variety of things, but in the life of the church, we can quote these statistics. We know that in this weekend alone, here in the state of Iowa, 85% of the people you know and I know, 85% of the population will not be in worship or synagogue or mosque or anywhere else. They will not be worshiping God at all. 85%. 60 to 70% of all Iowans are call themselves de-churched or unchurched. At best, they are only frequent, you know, C&E, Christian, Christmas and Easter Christians. We know that, the, the, that we are raising the third generation of non-Christians in our country today. We also know that in the most recent demographic studies done in the census of 2010, that the fastest religious preference that is gaining in our country today is those who call themselves none. of the population, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, whatever that means. We know the world in which we live in is changing in so many dynamic ways, including here in the life of faith and that we we share together. And the key question is, is what do we do there? How do we respond to this? You probably feel those shifts in your own life, in your own family, and, and other ways, and we feel it in the life of faith. It makes me think of the story told about a young boy who, who walked into the grocery one day, one day and he, he grabbed a box of laundry detergent and he went up to the counter and told the, the clerk that he was going to give his ba- dog a bath. And the clerk said, well, maybe you ought to use pet soap, and, soap instead of laundry detergent. But the little boy said, no, no, this is what, what I want to use. The next day, he walked into the grocery store, and the little boy was looking kind of dejected, and the clerk asked him, he said, did, did, did something happen to your dog? And the little boy said, yes, my dog died. But I don't think it was the laundry detergent. I think it was the spin cycle. <laughs> now, I love dogs. I've got two dogs. Well, I sometimes love my dogs, but that's another story. But do you ever feel like that? That for reasons unknown to you, you've been thrown into the, the spin cycle, the washing machine, and caught in the spin cycle, and at best you end up all, all tossed and tumbled and turned out dry? And at worse, who knows? The world in which we live in is so often changing so quickly because of so many different factors. We know that this this last annual conference here in June, here in the state of Iowa, that we closed 10 United Methodist churches. George Barna, our church consultant, indicates that, that in the next 30 years, across the United States and non, in United Methodist and other denominations and independent churches, that we will be closing 72,000 churches in the next 30 years. And every one of those churches that is closing is because they, they lost their vision, their understanding of, of God's purpose in their life. So what are we going to do about it? How do we live our lives? That's the very question. In 1840, when those settlers gathered underneath the white oak tree here in Marion, they had a vision, a vision for a new church, a Methodist Episcopal church that would be a congregation for the whole community. Who knew what exactly what it would be? They didn't have the whole vision, but they had an idea. Who knew that it would be this? 
The key is that the vision they had in 1840 is not the vision that can be had today. So what is your vision for your church now? What do you see out there? What storms, what opportunities, what uncertainties may be out there that God is calling you to, that you have the vision to be able to see, to prepare for today so your congregation will have its future tomorrow? The problem is that far too many churches fail to claim that vision and fail to live it out in the life of faith every single day. And if you don't see clearly, you, you don't live very well. George and Grace were talking together, husband and wife, and, and as they were visiting one day, he reached into his back pocket and he pulled out his handkerchief, a nicely, neatly folded white handkerchief, and he begins to unfold each one of the creases and then put it up to his nose and, and give a couple good snorts. And, and then he continues on by folding it back exactly on the same creases, exactly on the fo- same folds, until it looks exactly the way it did before and puts it into his back pocket. And his wife can't believe what she just saw such that she just stops talking, and her mouth is literally hanging wide open. And he says, there's a problem, and, and, and she said, yes. Says, do you always do that with your handkerchief? And he says, of course I have done it. For 30 years of marriage, I've always done it. And then she says, well, there's a problem. You see, every day when I do the laundry, and, and I reach into your pocket and find your handkerchief nice and neatly folded, I don't think you've used it. And so I put it back into your dresser. And now George stops for a moment. He says, oh, that explains why I always have trouble getting my glasses clean. <laughs> I know, sick joke, but whatever. <laughs> Does it take a while to get over that? Okay. <laughs> but the point is that if you can't see clearly, you can't live clearly, right? In all aspects of life, including the life of faith, in the vision we have for us. The purpose, the, the, the focus is this, is that the future is out there before you, but you need the vision to be able to see it. That's why windshields are bigger than rearview mirrors. In Genesis 19 is that awesome story of Lot and his wife and the family, who God gives them a future before them to come out of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah before they're destroyed. And as they flee those cities with the future out there before them, Lot's wife turns what? to the past, and she is immobilized. That very thing happens to churches, too. God gives them a future, but when they turn to the past, they become immobilized, and they die. Churches and church people with faulty vision sometimes get hurt and fall down and even die unless they claim the vision that God gives to them. I was talking with a pastor a few months ago here, actually, in the East Central District. He was telling me about his own church, particular church that stands on a hill in the t- community, and it looks down on the floodplain below where there's a, a dirt racetrack for demo derby on Saturday evening. And he was talking about the people who go to the, the demolition derbies on Saturday night and the people who go to church on Sunday morning and how they're a totally different set of people and how the people of the church wouldn't know how to talk to those. The people who go to the racetrack and the people who go to the racetrack wouldn't have no, any idea to talk to the church people. They live insulated and isolated apart. They just don't know how to speak with each other. What would mean to have a vision to say that the whole community of there belongs to God, and not just the people who go to church on Sunday morning. Jesus understood how important vision is. 
So much so that in Matthew 16, one time when he was talking with the Pharisees and Sadducees, who were obviously having trouble seeing clearly what exactly Jesus is talking about, he says to them, you guys have a, a saying that goes like this. Red sun at morning, or sun, red sun at night, sailor delight. Red sun in the morning, tailor, sailor take warning. You so easily read the signs of the weather, but you say, fail to read the signs of your times. Friends, Jesus is talking to us this day about that very same kind of thing. Do you see the signs before you? Do you have the vision to see what's out there, to do what you need to do today so that you have a, have a promise for tomorrow? Jesus is talking about how we can live our lives here in this church. So let me ask you the question, why does this church exist? If, you know, in your elevator speech tomorrow, when someone at work comes up to you and says, oh, you go to that, that First United Methodist Church here in Marion, what's it all about? What would you say? If this church suddenly didn't exist, who would miss this church in this community other than you? Why does this church exist? You see, the purpose of any church, including this church, is not about us only. Oh, it's a great place to come. It's a great place to have worship. It's a great place to meet my friends. It's a place, great place to go in Christ. But you know what? The purpose of the church is greater than you, and it's greater than me. The purpose of the church is to be God's instrument in the entire community. When, when Mike is appointed a pastor to this, this church, he wasn't appointed to this church. He was appointed to this community to claim the entire community, the entire mission field for Christ. That's the purpose of a church. That's the promise of a church. In Jeremiah, God says to us, I have plans for you. God has dreamed you. Do you see that? And do you understand that? And do you live that? One place you can discover God's vision for you is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. It's an awesome, awesome story of a telling about an experience of our life of faith and some of the most radical preaching that you'll ever hear preached as Jesus shared that sermon. I encourage you to read it sometime. It begins with the Beatitudes, and then it goes on to how our lives are changed and affected in our marriages and our relationships and with strangers and even with our enemies as we live out forgiveness and grace and understanding in our life of prayer and service. It's a a sermon that, that changes the world in which we live in if we took it seriously. And in the heart of that sermon is the very prayer that we prayed in this worship service, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What will the kingdom of God look like when it comes upon this earth? You know, the praise song we began with this worship service is an offensive praise song. I, I, I love that praise song, but you know what? We are home because I've already checked ahead in the book of Revelation the new, the new kingdom, the new heaven and the earth will come upon what? Here. This is heaven. And our work in the life of faith is to bring that kingdom upon this earth in God's purpose. Wayne Cordero, pastor in Hawaii, asks it this way. I love the way he asks. He says, if God's sole purpose was to save you and bring you into a loving relationship with him through Jesus Christ, then why didn't God just wish you up to heaven when you claim Christ as your Lord and Savior? Why has God kept you here? Unless it is also for God's purpose, for his kingdom to come in your marriage, in your family life, 
in your work relationships, with the kids who are struggling at school, with those who are being abused, for those who are feeling lost and lonely, for whatever it may be, what will it look like when the kingdom of God comes upon this earth? And do you have the vision to claim that, not just for tomorrow? Do you have that vision to claim that today? And to begin to work that out today in ways that that can only happen if you have God's vision in your life. You see, you are only one decision away from God's promise. You don't need to change your dress. You don't need to change your appearance. You don't need to change your life patterns. The only thing that you need to change is your ability to see what's already out there, what God is bringing upon us. God's grace will never call you to something that God's promise will also not provide you to meet in the life that you lived. About a year and a half ago, or a different story I'm going to tell right now. Um, in the early part of World War II, when the Japanese imperial forces began to advance upon Japan, or on China, as they were doing so, there was an American missionary in China and who was a responsible for an orphanage. And as she was doing so, taking care of the children there, and she began to see the advancing imperial forces, they began to become quite fearful of their situation, so they fled the the orphanage trying to find a place of refuge. But the forces began to follow wherever they went and and went after them, and and they began to be filled with more anxiety and certainty for the care of the children. When, When one evening they could literally see the lights of the Japanese forces coming closer and closer, and they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. And and the woman began to turn to her friend, and she said, I just don't know what's going to happen. We're just going to lose everything. And and the woman friend said to her, Remember the story in the book of Exodus about, about the Hebrews and Moses? And the woman said, turned to her and said, Yes, I know, but but I'm not Moses. And a friend reminded her, that's true. But God is still God. God is still God. There's no way that you and I can live the vision of God out on our own. We need God's presence, God's blessings in our lives. But I guarantee you, friend, it is already here. God already is providing the grace. We've seen this in this report. We've seen this in our time together, that God is already here to lead you to things you cannot do on your own. But you need to have the vision to claim as God's vision for you. So let me ask you a very personal question. What would you be willing to do? What would you be willing to give up in your life? What would you be willing to change in your life so that your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren could be sitting in the pew right next with you right now to be able to claim a life of faith as you have claimed it? A year and a half ago, my father passed away. And the day before the funeral, in the early morning, when we were sitting there in the house getting ready for the details, it was breakfast time. And and I looked into the kitchen, and and there was my wife, Bess, sitting at the the kitchen table with our grandson, Mac, who was an absolutely wonderful young child. And as we were doing so, as I watched all that together, they were sitting there at the kitchen table, and and they had the Bible open to the book of Genesis, and and Bess and, and Mac were reading the story of Jacob together. And as they were going through the story, you know, line by line and scene by scene, and, and Mac was just getting into all that awesome story, and, and, and finally Bess paused for a moment, and, and Mac turned up to his grandma and held her face in his hands, and he asked, What next, Grandma? What next? And it suddenly occurred to me that's the way it's supposed to be, of a grandmother handing on the faith to her grandson. That's the way it's supposed to be.
But the problem is, is that Mac and Grace and Kara, his sisters, live 500 miles away from us in Wyoming. And we don't get to see them very often, and Skype just doesn't do it in the way that face-to-face does. So it made me think to myself, who will be Mac and Grace's and Kara's grandmother or grandfather in Torrington, Wyoming? And who will be the children's grandmother and grandfather, father, mother, sister, brother, for the children in Marion, Iowa? That is the vision that God is calling us to, that the whole world may know of God's, God's wonder and God's love and God's grace. Not just those who are already in the fraternity, in church, but that the whole world may know. The whole world may know. You see, vision is the ability to see what's out there so that you can do what you need to do today to be able to be ready for its coming. God is calling you for a vision you never would have dreamed on your own. God dreamed of this church a century and a half ago. And God still has dreams for this church and for every single one of you here in it. But those dreams are beyond this church. They fill this whole community. Do you see that with your eyes, with your heart, with your life, with your living? One day a little boy was standing on the street corner at a bus stop. He had a box filled with newly born kittens so young that their, their eyes weren't even open yet. And as he was standing, their bus pulled open and the doors opened up and he stepped on board and the bus driver saw the box of kittens and he smiled and he said, My, I haven't seen kittens that young in a long time. And the little boy said, They're not kittens, they're atheists. And the bus driver said, Okay, and just continued on his, his route. Several days later, the little boy was at the same bus stop, same box of kittens, and the bus driver pulled up and opened up the door and saw the box and he looked in and said, well, how are those atheists doing? And the little boy said, they're not atheists anymore, they're Christians, because now they have their eyes wide open. Friends, it makes a difference for kittens, and it makes a difference for Christians too, in how we live our lives with eyes and hearts and lives wide open with vision to what it is that God is calling us to be. Praise God for what we are, but only through God's empowering grace can we yet be what we need to be. Do you have the vision to see what's out there, fast approaching, so that you can be ready to do what you need to do now for the promise that God has for you in the days before you? I pray you do. Let's pray. There's no way we can do it on our own, Jesus. But you believe in us so much that you give us this calling. What an awesome gift of grace that we may live for your purpose and be filled with your promise that the whole world may know of a God of love and power and hope until thy kingdom comes. Amen. Thank you, Scott. We uh, certainly appreciate your words this morning.
My name is Kirk McNeil, and I'm the uh, chairman of the Stewardship and Finance Committee. And, and usually at this time, you've you're been used to the last few months to see videos on the screen uh, with a testimony about giving from a member of our congregation. And um, when I decided to, to do this, I, I was told that the camera added 10 pounds, so I decided to go ahead and do a live version. <clears throat> Um, you know, we hope that you've enjoyed them. We're going to continue them for the next few months. Um, and we're just very fortunate to have people who are willing to uh, share their testimony about giving and, and how this church has, has blessed them. As for myself and my family, we've been members of this church since 1998. And uh, we certainly have been thoroughly blessed by this church, by, by you, this congregation we consider friends, and, uh, and by the church's programs. Uh, just today, I had a chance to, to experience all four worship services, and it was just amazing to, to, to see all the people that I don't really get to see all that much. So that was a blessing in itself. Uh, my family, we've been fortunate to raise our family in, in this building and in these surroundings and experience the many ways of Christian growth um, that this church offers to its members. And when I really accepted a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I, I felt a a peace and a calm that I'd never really had, had felt before come over me. And during the services here and during a lot of the special events and, and classes and things that we participate in, I feel that same sense of peace. And so we give, and, and we've continued to give more each year because I believe God has a purpose for me, and I believe God has a purpose for each and every one of you. And I especially believe that God has a purpose for this church, you know, in this community, and, and I think my giving helps uh, to achieve that purpose. Um, recently, I heard a story involving open heart surgery, and, and in the story, after the, after the heart was, was repaired and, and, and attached back into the patient, the surgeon would, would tap the heart to get it to start beating again. And now, I don't believe that the heartbeat of this church has ever stopped. And in fact, I think the heartbeat of this church is very strong and very vibrant. But I also believe that as followers of Christ, God daily and continually taps our hearts. And he desires that we help this church's heart to remain strong through our gifts, through our time, our talent, um, and our offerings. Now, as you know, there are many great things you know, happening in our church right now, and, and there's a lot of more exciting things to come, as you've heard. So on behalf of the Stewardship and Finance Committee, I sincerely thank you for all of your support. Um, and I also thank you for help keeping the heart of this church beating strong. The report is being passed out. We'll take a second here to make certain everybody has one. And we invite you to uh, read along with as, Jesus, as Jill will be reading word for word the report for you. So there's no reason to have to rush ahead and get that, uh, all the details. Again, we want to thank you for your time and your effort. Our consultation team's focus primarily was to listen to you, to hear what it is that you had to tell us about the ministry of this congregation. And this report reflects what we've heard from each of you. Jill? Everybody has access, yeah? It has been a great privilege to work with the Reverend Mike Morgan, the staff, leaders, and congregation of the First United Methodist Church. We appreciate the work you did to gather all of the information necessary prior to the consultation and the hospitality that you provided to the consultation team and to one another throughout the weekend. Our prayer is that God will use this report and this process to motivate the congregation to continue to do great things for the Lord's mission in this community and beyond. Um, the team had, we, we just couldn't narrow it to five strengths. There were many strengths. We had to come up with the top five. We couldn't, so you get six, okay? Um, number one, pastoral team and staff. 
First, UMC is blessed with a Christ-centered, well-respected, gifted staff who provide spiritual leadership for this congregation in alignment with God's mission. Number two, empowered leadership. First UMC has a permission-giving culture that identifies, equips, and empowers servants and leaders and sends them forth in ministry and mission. Number three, desire for spiritual growth. Those connected with First UMC express a desire to grow deeper in their Christian discipleship and to invite others to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Number four, outward focus. First UMC is known for meaning, meaningful missional engagement. Programs like Fly, Marian Cares, and Flood Recovery are examples of the powerful ways First UMC is a beacon of hope in this community. Number five, worship. Worship at First UMC connects people with God through transformative, biblically-based preaching and excellent music. And number six, youth and young adult ministry. First UMC is reaching young adults, a segment of the population that other churches are missing. The ministry with youth is strong. 412 and confirmation are appreciated. But the strength of the youth ministry goes beyond the programming. This congregation intentionally raises up young leaders, lay and ordained, and sends them into ministry here and throughout the larger church. Five concerns. Number one, mission and vision. The mission and vision of the congregation needs to be clear, compelling, and shared. While most of the leadership has clarity around the mission and vision of First UMC, these are not widely owned within the larger congregation. Number two, discipleship pathway. While there are many opportunities for spiritual growth offered at First UMC, there is no clear, consistent pathway that gives direction for growth and discipleship for persons of all ages. Number three, connection system. First UMC lacks a clear, formalized system for welcoming and connecting new people into the life and ministry of the congregation. Additionally, there is not a system for identifying and contacting persons who, once active, no longer attend Sunday morning worship services. Number four, transition plan. While the What's Next task force is developing plans for what will happen with the facilities currently used by First UMC, this isn't widely known. There does not seem to be attention focused on facility needs for the interim. In addition, there does not appear to be attention given to non-facility issues related to transition, such as, but not limited to, vision, momentum, and emotional processes like grief and loss. And number five, communication. Communication is not as effective as it could be, which is not unusual in a growing congregation the size of First UMC. For example, we heard repeatedly that people are not aware of matters of strategic importance, such as a vision for this location. Attention needs to be given to improving internal communication, as well as being intentional about external communication with those who live in the mission field. The prescriptions you'll notice have a one-to-one -one correspondence with the concerns, so number one is mission and vision. In a large congregation, persons find their unity in shared mission and vision rather than in gathering all together in one place for worship or knowing everyone who attends the same church. First UMC has as its mission to win souls for Christ and nurture them into the kingdom, and as its stated vision, with Christ as our cornerstone, we testify to the joy of living. There did not seem to be widespread ability to verbalize either of those specific statements among the staff and congregation, although most were able to convey the spirit of the mission of First UMC. Call to prayer. 
The lead pastor will call the staff, council, and congregation to a day of prayer to allow the congregation to listen for God's vision for First UMC for the next five years. This will be conducted on or before April 21, 2013. Day of visioning. The coach and pastor will conduct a day of visioning following the day of prayer. The day of visioning will be held on or before June 2nd. The purpose of this day will be to build upon the vision already embraced by the leadership of First UMC and to flesh out a more specific vision for the future God intends for First UMC, along with the specific goals and objectives and a detailed plan for communicating the vision with the entire congregation on a regular basis. Annual Ministry Audit. This plan will also include an annual ministry audit where all staff and ministries will be evaluated according to the mission and vision of First UMC. This audit will be completed each year by the time of charge conference beginning in 2013. Number two, discipleship pathway. The lead pastor in consultation with the coach will put together a team of three laypersons plus the director of adult discipleship, the pastor for youth and mission, and the director of children's Christian education and discipleship on and before May 1 to create a clear discipleship path for moving people from where they are on their spiritual journey to becoming, more, to becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The discipleship path will be designed for everyone, whether a non-believer or one who is maturing in their faith. This discipleship path will represent a lifelong process. The team will discern a faith development plan within the Wesleyan model that encourages all persons to connect and grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, to be transformed by studying the Bible and the principles of the Christian faith, to connect with other believers for support and accountability, and to be in service to others for the purpose of God's mission. The plan would be presented to, the, to Mission Control and the Church Council by September 1 and fully implemented by January 1 of 2014. Number three, Connections Team. The lead pastor in consultation with the coach will identify a team of five persons, including the Director of Hospitality and the Director of Pastoral Care, by May 1 to develop a comprehensive welcoming and assimilation system that tracks guests from their first visit to their ongoing connection to the discipleship pathway. Attention will also be given to tracking attendance in order to provide care for persons whose worship attendance patterns may have changed. The team will also determine the software systems that need to be employed and the ministry teams that need to be developed to make this comprehensive connection system effective. The system design will be presented to Mission Control and the Church Council by August 1st, with implementation beginning by September 1st. Number four, transition plan. In our listening, we heard vastly different understandings of the future of the current building. From the building will be sold, to the building will be used for a finite number of years, and there will be a ministry presence uptown for the foreseeable future. We've also heard that there's a what's next task force that is focusing on future possibilities for the existing facilities. In this time of transition, attention needs to be paid to the future of the facility, but also to vision, momentum, and the emotional process that accompanies transition. In addition, given the time that transition will take, attention needs to be paid to what this facility needs in order to do effective ministry. The lead pastor, along with a team named by the lead pastor, will develop a comprehensive transition plan that will address the mission and ministry, including vision, momentum, emotional process, and facility needs for this time of transition and beyond. This team will have their initial meeting by May 1st. They will communicate this plan to the church council by October 1st and continue to provide regular updates to the entire congregation on a monthly basis through several 
communication strategies. And number five, communication. Effective communication is a challenge in a large growing congregation. It's, it is not possible to over communicate the mission and vision of the congregation or the processes at work to bring the vision to fruition. Therefore, the lead pastor, in consultation with the coach, will identify a communications task force by May 1st to examine and evaluate the current communication strategies at First UMC, taking both internal within the congregation and external with the mission field communication into consideration and to offer their report to Mission Control and the Church Council by October 1st. Areas for consideration include, but are not limited to, moving from a purely informational culture to an invitational culture, communicating for different learning styles, and use of social media and other strategies suiting to connecting with postmodern people. We, the consulting team, want to thank you for the opportunity to serve your congregation through this weekend consultation process. Our prayers and hope for your congregation is that God will use this process to help your church move to the next level in ministry for the sake of God's mission in the world. Scott? While the report is not open for discussion at this time, that's the purpose of the town hall meetings, it is open for any clarification. So are, are there any points of clarification that we need here? Yes. The town hall meetings? No, the resources, Scott. Oh, the resources. One of the things that the coach will be doing is helping the congregation identify resources, these as well as others. Thank you. Any other questions? If not, again, I just want to thank you for all your hard work, for your witness in the life of Christ, and I'd like to send us with a blessing and benediction right now. Let's be in prayer. And now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we may ask or think. To God be the glory in his church and in this church now and to all generations. We go with the purpose of Christ. We go with the promise of Christ. We go with the blessings of Christ. Amen.